0: Zig Ziglar will return in a few moments with a prayer and some personal closing remarks that many will find helpful. There could very well be someone you know that would appreciate hearing Zig's story. Life Story tapes are passed around many offices, neighborhoods, and among family members. So if you've enjoyed this tape, please pass it on. Now here's Zig Ziglar. I'm Zig Ziglar and I'm now in a studio.
1: First let me thank you for listening to my testimony. I encourage you actually to listen to it again, maybe several more times because there is a great deal to it. I sincerely hope that by now you've made a decision to make the most important decision you could ever make. And that is to invite Jesus Christ into your life. And remember, you have everything to gain and absolutely nothing to lose in this process. Let me remind you that if everything I've said is completely untrue, but you believe it, you really have nothing to lose. But if everything I say is true and you don't believe it, then you have lost everything. With that in mind, and if you happen to be riding down the highway listening to this, I encourage you simply to pull to the side of the road and quietly bow your head Close your eyes. There's nothing significant really in closing your eyes except that it is a sign of submission, of trust. You can't see what's going on because you guys are closed. But that trust in Christ is so important. Now, if you're ready, simply in your own mind, uh, you can either silently pray this or even better, repeat these words out loud. Dear Lord, I confess that I am a sinner, and I know that I cannot save myself. So, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to do what you told me to do in Romans 10 9. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. That God raised him from death. And Lord, you told me that if I did that, I'd be saved. So in faith, that's exactly what I'm doing. You told me in Ephesians 2, 8 9 that it is by grace that's the unmerited favor of God. I don't deserve it, but you give it to me because you love me. It is by grace and my faith in you that I will be saved. That I won't be saved because of my works because if I could save myself, I just might boast. So Lord, it's trusting in you that will give me that salvation. And so Lord, I confess that you are my Lord. Invite me into your heaven, Lord. And I am now secure in that knowledge that i am saved and oh lord i'm so grateful for that now at this moment you might not quote feel any different some do some don't but let me assure you that you're not saved by your feelings you're saved by hearing and believing the word of god and that's exactly what you've been uh, hearing. My friend, you're saved. If you prayed in your heart the prayer we just voiced, and you and God are the only two who know whether it was in your heart or not. Now I encourage you, study your Bible. Get involved in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church and enjoy the benefits of your salvation now. And may God bless you richly for this most important commitment and decision. Now, let me simply say this. If you have prayed to accept Christ, I'd like to take a few more minutes to share with you how you can continue your spiritual journey. In other words, how can you keep it going? How can you maintain this excitement and enthusiasm in this faith of yours? Well, first of all, let me say that the Bible will keep you out of sin or sin will keep you out of the Bible. In other words, you need to get in God's word and learn what God has to say. Let me also say that if you do not have a Bible, a complimentary copy of the New Testament in modern English is available to you. All you got to do is call Life Story and that information is printed on the tape jacket. I urge you, if you haven't got one, get one. I also encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church and attend there on a regular basis. There might be some discouraged people there you can encourage, and you will be encouraged by going to such a church. I want to encourage you also to to pray to God frequently. Be open and honest with Him. Uh, He is interested in every aspect of your life. Remember, He does have a tremendous amount invested in you. There are no secrets from God. He's not surprised at anything that you might say or do. I also encourage you to take the initiative and tell others about your decision to follow Christ. A lot of people unfortunately say, well, you know, I will let my life be my story or my witness or whatever. Well, let me emphasize a point. Christ lived the perfect life. And he performed all of those miracles, and yet he always verbalized the importance of faith in God. I encourage you to do exactly the same thing. As you get involved in your Christian faith, as you start the walk, let me also say that if you have already committed your life to Christ, it's important for you to call Life Story and tell them about that decision. Now, from my perspective, I'm a professional speaker and an author. But let me say that my first priority is my relationship with Christ. The things I've talked about today are extremely important. I want you to know God really cares for you and He cares for me. He's interested in our spiritual walk. And God bless you on your spiritual walk with our Lord.
0: You may copy this recording according to Kingdom's free access policy. For quantity discounts or other life stories, call us toll-free at 1-800-661-1141. That's 1-800-661-1141. After becoming Rose Bowl queen and appearing on many of television's most popular shows, Margot Lynn Woods seemed destined for stardom. As a spokesperson for a line of international skincare products and star of the first Polaroid television commercial, everything was coming up roses. However, the fairy tale lifestyle was to be short lived. After the parties, premieres, and two failed marriages, she found herself 31 years old, single, and pregnant. Listen now as Margot Lynn shares her story of life after the Rose Bowl. Thanks.
2: Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> or as we say in Oklahoma, hi y'all. <laughs> it's so good to be back here. It's such a treat to look around and see so many familiar faces and to look around the room and see so many new faces since I was here last. I said I travel quite a bit now. And it's really kind of stretched me, and it really stretches my family. I called home recently, and my husband, Roy, answered the phone. He said, guess what? I said, what? I I made spaghetti for dinner tonight. I said, spaghetti? That's pretty good. How'd it turn out? He said, well, pretty good. Just one question. How do you get it apart at the end? I said, well, honey, how long did you boil those noodles? Oh, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half, I guess. (laughs) Well, what'd you do with it? He said, well, I just took that big pot and dumped it in the strainer. came out in this great big clump. So I cut it in four pieces, put one piece on each plate, (laughs) added some ragu, and they just loved it. (laughs) Is that that cute? But the very best story happened the same month. I called home from Wichita, and my 15-year-old daughter, Taryn, answered the phone. And she said, Mom, you're never going to believe tonight. I said, what? Because Dad fixed macaroni and cheese. Because we were all sitting in the kitchen doing homework. Dad got the water boiling, added the noodles, helped us with homework. Went back and stirred the noodles, helped us with homework. Stirred the noodles again. Finally, he turned to us and he said, how long does mom stir this before it turns orange? (laughs) Is that cute? True story. (laughs) I have a wonderful husband, but he can't cook. (laughs) I called home last night and he said, you're going to tell the macaroni story, aren't you? I said, yes, I'm going to tell the macaroni story. It's one of my favorites. He said, you be sure to tell them that if I had the microphone, I could tell better stories on you. And the truth is, he could. And the funny part is that he, he thinks I'm a good cook. <laughs> anyway, I came today to just share a little bit about my life with you. My life's really different than it was when I grew up. I grew up in Southern California with a brother and sister and a mom and dad, loving family. We were active in our community, in our church. And God was a very important part of our lives. We said prayers every evening, and we said prayers every mealtime. But college was when it became really exciting for me because I became the Tournament of Roses Rose Bowl Queen. And all of a sudden, I was caught up in this whole new world of excitement. I spent the entire year traveling with the Grand Marshal of the parade, Mr. Lawrence Welk. And I was placed on numerous television shows from the Bob Hope Christmas Show to the Andy Williams Show, Carol Burnett Show, Flip Wilson Show, Hollywood Squares. And I even did the very first television commercial for a brand new product called the Polaroid Camera. (laughs) (laughs) shows my age (laughs) I just loved every minute of it and although I was a music major in college I quickly decided that I wanted to have a career in show business during this time I had lots of requests to speak mostly to civic clubs and local churches and I just used this time to share with everyone just how much fun I was having and just how fortunate I felt to have the love that we had in our home It was at one of these speaking engagements that a man came up to me and he said, You know, Margalin, I just really appreciate you being here tonight, but I wondered, have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? And you know, today I'm not real sure what I said to that young man, but I remember thinking, this was the 70s, this must be one of those Jesus freaks that everybody's talking about. Because I'd never heard anybody talk like that. And I hope I was gracious, but I definitely remember kind of moving along quickly from that young man. But his words were to come back to me many years later the parade was absolutely wonderful certainly the fulfillment of this little girl's dreams and my head was growing boy I thought my world was going to be stardom I was incredibly lucky as I started out in the industry I had three national commercials on the air at the same time and I became a spokesperson for a product called rose milk skincare cream do, do any of you remember that with rose milk you can really feel the difference that was me <laughs> <laughs> this very day I have a whole garage full of Rosemount skincare products <laughs> I was financially stable and at a dinner party one evening I met this famous film producer he lived in the limelight in the fast lane and he was paying attention to me and after a very exciting year of dating we were married in a star-studded ceremony with everyone from Tony Curtis to Hugh Hefner in attendance and our life was full of parties and premieres part of the year spent in London England and the other part in Beverly Hills California But the marriage was short-lived, and after just a very few short years, we divorced. And as awful as divorce can be, I wasn't that terribly upset about it, you see, because I was positively sure that if I could just find a husband who was out of show business, I'd be perfectly happy. So after, I don't know, maybe 400 blind dates, it seemed like, I showed up for lunch one day on a blind date, and you have to picture this. This was Beverly Hills. And I walked into this restaurant, and standing across the room was a man in a cowboy hat, Cowboy boots and a belt buckle just about this big. And he was so cute. His name was Roy Woods. And I remember thinking, this one could be the one. We just had a wonderful lunch. And he asked me for dinner that evening. But I was shooting a show at that time called Vegas, which shot in Las Vegas. And so I couldn't go out to dinner. And I remember thinking, oh, this is one of those GUs. Do you remember that term? Geographically undesirables. I lived in Los Angeles. He lived in Oklahoma. I worked in Las Vegas. This could never work. But when I arrived in Las Vegas that afternoon and I opened the door to my room, the entire room was filled with flowers with a little note that said, until next time, Roy. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's not only cute and polite and out of show business, he's romantic. And I think it was just about a month later that we set up a date to go out together. And I remember that month going by so slowly. Do you remember when you really think you have met the right one? and you go over every single thing he said and every single thing that you said, and you go over every word and you think, am I reading more into that than was really there? Or was he truly just the most wonderful man I'd ever met? Well, he called to confirm our date and he asked me to meet him at his plane. And you can imagine my surprise when I realized that he meant his plane. I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's not only cute and polite, romantic and out of showbiz, this guy's rich. Truly, after a very few short dates, we really did know that we were right for each other. He wanted to settle down. He wanted children. He wanted to attend church. He was successful. And best of all, he was out of show business. So after three weeks, we ran off and eloped. Can you just imagine doing that? I had three children here today, and I would kill any one of them. They ran off and eloped after knowing somebody three weeks. I hadn't planned on eloping. But my husband was a professional race car driver. The next race was in Le Mans in France. And it just sounded so romantic to up and elope. I um, tried to find my parents to let them know. And I couldn't find them. And um, it was a really I really wanted them to be a part of this part of my life because they'd been a big part of my life. And they were very close. And they were very disappointed in my marriage, but very supportive during my um, divorce. Couldn't find them, but I did it anyway. <laughs> Flew to Las Vegas, got married on the Strip, pink chapel with a big sign that said, All Checks Okay. (laughs) is that awesome? Not the kind of marriage I'd always wanted or the wedding, but I had a wonderful husband, and this time I knew that it was just going to be forever. And our honeymoon was awesome. It was in the south of France, limousines, wonderful hotels, lots of shopping, and filled with lots of love. And finally, located my parents, and after a very long pause, my mother said, well, honey, you must be really happy if you're going to move to Oklahoma. <laughs> and today, she says, that's not exactly how she remembers saying that, but that's kind of how I remember her saying it to me. And she wished us all the best. And truly, it seemed like we had the best. I quit show business. I moved to Oklahoma City, and life truly seemed perfect. Our home was this incredible estate called Out of Bounds that came complete with a staff, where literally my day consisted of getting up choosing the menu for the chef to fix that day, doing a little more volunteer work, playing tennis, and more shopping. This marriage also came with two stepdaughters, two girls whom I had never met, obviously I only knew their dad three weeks, two girls who were totally shocked at their dad's remarriage. And that was a very difficult part of our lives for a short time. For a while, everything else though seemed wonderful. Our lives were filled with benefits and private plans, wonderful trips. Lots of love. It was truly a lifestyle that I'd only read about in romance novels. But after several years on the race car circuit, I was sort of ready to settle down. When I asked him about maybe giving up racing at the very top of his career, he said, sure, someday, but not now. When I asked him about having children, I got the same answer. When I asked him about going to church, he said, on my golf day. And when I asked him to at least come home at 6 o'clock in the evening so we could sit down and have dinner together, He reminded me how lucky I was to have him. Well, I thought I had done the big favor in this marriage. I had quit show business. I had moved to Oklahoma City. And you know, I'm sure that people that looked at our lives must have just thought we had everything. But neither one of us were very happy. And I sure recognized the signs of a marriage in trouble because I had been there before. But there was a family in Oklahoma City that befriended me the Hartsock family and while roy was off playing golf or when he was on a racing trip the Sogs, along with their seven children came by and picked me up and took me to church with them so it was gretchen that i turned to now and i just cried on her shoulder for hours and she listened to me and she finally asked me that question that that young man had asked so many years before she said margolin have you ever thought about making jesus christ a part of your life she went on to explain that to truly be a child of god I had to take that first step. I had to ask Jesus Christ to come in and be a part of my life. And you know what? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Because you see, although my life probably didn't reflect it at that time, I thought I was a Christian. I'd grown up in the church. We were in those church doors every time the doors were open. I sang in a choir. I was part of a youth group. But until that day, I had never heard that to truly be a child of God to truly know that my destiny would be eternity with Him. I had to take that first step and ask Jesus Christ to come in and be a part of my life. And then she asked me right there, Margo, you want to pray a prayer with me today and ask Jesus to come in? Well, my life wasn't working out very well with me in charge. So I did. I prayed a prayer with her that day, a prayer that went something like this. Dear Lord, I need you. I thank you for dying for me. I open that door of my life and ask you to come in as my savior as my lord thank you for forgiving me and thank you for your incredible gift of eternal life with you and now please make me to that kind of woman that you would have me be and i know it's different for everyone but for me it was sort of like this light came on in my life proverbs 122 says behold i will pour out my spirit on you and i will make my words known to you i now knew Why? I was always searching for things to make me happy. I had depended on money and accolades and husbands to fill a void in my life, a void that only Jesus Christ could fill. But I didn't know that before. And you know what? I know so many people who are just like me. They don't say exactly the same things, but they say things like sort of, oh, when we get all our kids out of college, or when we get to buy that house, or when we get to go on that vacation. And you know what? They're doing the same thing. They're holding happiness out here, thinking those things, those times, those vacations. That's going to bring them happiness. And you know what? They're missing it. They're totally missing it. Because true happiness and true peace comes from having that void filled with Jesus Christ and having him be there for the good times and the bad times. You know something I've really learned this last year especially is that true happiness and true peace is not the absence of trials. It's the presence of God. You know, I feel really lucky because I've been given some of those things that people really think are going to be true happiness. you know they are happiness for a short time, but none of them are lasting happiness. I know now that I needed the Lord to be in the center of my life because he has a plan and a purpose for my life, just as he has for each and every person in this room. And simply by asking him into your life, we have this incredible promise of eternal life with him. Well, I'd heard of the term unequally yoked, and as I got closer to the Lord through fellowship with other Christians and Bible study, prayer, my church family, Roy moved further and further away from me. Till finally, because of infidelity, I felt like I had to leave this marriage. I didn't want to stay in Oklahoma. I sure didn't want to go back to California. So I moved to Colorado. Where with the help of friends, I started to put my life back together. And you know, I felt like such a failure. I felt like I'd been given what most people only dream about in their lives. It hadn't been enough for me. I used to go to bed with a real ache in my heart. I think the only comfort seemed to come through prayer. I used to pray every night that Roy might find the peace and the love that I'd found knowing Jesus Christ. And I prayed that God might deliver Roy from his worldly ways. And I used to pray that he'd be surrounded by Christians. But I never once prayed that he'd be given back to me because the pain was just too deep. And perhaps unless you've gone through infidelity, you may not be aware of the incredible pain that that can evoke. I was also very angry. But a new friend in this new church came up to me one day, and she said, Margolin, I hear your anger, and I just wonder, have you thought about giving it over to God? Maybe the anger you're holding on to, and it's so evident right now, might be in the way of something God has in mind for you down the road. I want you to know that I felt very justified in holding on to that anger. It was very hard for me to want a prayer to God, asking to take that away. But I also had this new desire in my heart, and that was to please God. And that was stronger than wanting to hold on to that anger. So I did. I prayed a prayer with that lady that day, asking that God would change my heart towards my husband. It's true, I think, that time does help to heal our hurts. New friends in a busy new life help to diminish much of that pain. Over about a year later, there was a knock at my door, suitcase in hand. And it was Roy, and he wanted to start over. Well, the divorce had gone through, but I let him move right back in for a while. And things were pretty good for a short time. I thought we had a really good chance of working things out. We were starting fresh. We were in a new town. I was beginning to trust him again. But the world's fast lane still had a hold of Roy. And I came home to a note one day that said he'd left. And I was shattered, because a month later, I realized that I was pregnant. I had wanted children all of my life. And now I found myself 31 years old, single, with two marriages behind me and pregnant. And I was devastated. All I could think about was, what have I done? What was I going to do? Who could I even tell? And I think for the first couple of months, I simply felt sorry for myself. And then I think God put on my heart that I was carrying a baby because I started looking at every baby's face and wondering if my little baby was a girl or a boy. My baby was healthy. I remember going for a checkup and walking into that waiting room with all those happy, expecting moms. I just wanted to turn around and leave. But I didn't. Instead, I filled out forms that labeled me a single mom. And my emotions were really on edge when I went into that doctor's office. And when he examined me and announced that there was a healthy baby growing inside of me, the tears just flowed. I finally got back down on those knees and asked for forgiveness and asked that God would stay really close to me while I had this baby. I sold my home, and I moved to Maui, Hawaii, where Roy and I shared a condo in the divorce to have the baby. And God is so good. That very first Sunday, a friend, a new friend, Wanda Phillips, invited me to Hope Chapel. And I remember walking in the front doors with the Cockels standing there handing out the programs. Everybody was so warm and so welcoming. And I was hurting so bad and so lonely. And I thought about that last week as I walked in the doors of this church. I saw so many people I didn't know. And I saw so many people come up to me and they knew I was new and they welcomed me and they were caring and they were thoughtful. And I commend you as a church for that because you never know who's coming in that door and who's hurting and who really needs someone to love them and you know what my kids felt that too last week they went into the youth group and they came back and said mom everybody talk to us that's wonderful you just never know it might be a a kid that needs that touch and i commend you well in the program of that bulletin that morning in hope chapel there was an announcement of a childbirth class starting that week So I mustered up the courage and I showed up at this home where all of these happy, expecting parents were gathered to share in a childbirth class. And as they went around the room and they shared with each other their names and why they were taking the childbirth class, I heard names like Kathy and Craig Englert, Jason and Tony Spence, Pat and Kevin Sear, Natalie and Tim Fitzgerald. When it finally got to me, I just broke down and told these perfect strangers my entire life story. And today I am so thankful for that group of Christian husbands and wives who literally put their arms around me and helped me through a very difficult time. They were true friends. They reached out to me. They included me in Bible studies. They took me to birthday parties, and they prayed with me. And after a few months, there was another knock at my door. It was Roy's suitcase in hand, and he was wanting to start over again. This time, he had worked through some worldly problems, and he truly was ready to start over. And boy, he started attending church with me. He started attending those childbirth classes. And boy, were those Christian husbands ready for him. This is my favorite part of my husband's testimony because he shares that he began to see that these men had a high in their lives without drugs and expensive toys. And he began to have a great respect for their lifestyles and for the way they treated their wives. Roy continued to attend church. And one day when Pastor Craig asked if there was anyone out there who wanted to give their lives over to Jesus Christ, in tears my husband accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I truly believe that it's a miracle that God can put a marriage back together again. If anyone had told me that I would trust my husband again and that I would fall in love with him all over again, I would never have believed that. We were married shortly after that, after counseling with Craig. And just before the birth of our precious little girl, Taryn, who's now 15 years old. And you know, I look back on that time when that bold lady came up to me in Colorado and suggested I pray that prayer asking God to change my heart towards my husband. And I'm so thankful for her today. And I wonder if I'd have the blessings I have in my life today if I hadn't prayed that prayer with her that day. The Lord really grew us up in those next few years here at Hope Chapel with great friends, great teaching from Craig, Bible study at Finney Patterson's and the Barrera's house, fellowship in Koenia groups and Logos with Jason. And I believe we have a wonderful marriage now. And I believe it's because we have our lives centered around the Lord. It's not perfect and it's not without problems. But as it says in Ephesians, we try not to let the sun set on our anger. We're both very stubborn people. We can stay up very late before one of us will turn to the other and go, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) But we do it. We try to be good stewards of all the blessings that God has given us. Proverbs 3.9 says, to honor the Lord from your wealth. We try to grow in the Lord through fellowship with other Christians, our church, through Bible study, and through praying together. I honestly feel that one of God's greatest gifts in marriage is the ability to pray together as husband and wife. We've been married 20 years now, and the Lord has also blessed us with identical twin boys, Matthew and Adam, who are now 14 years old. And those two daughters that I was so at odds with in the beginning of the story are now integral parts of our family, along with a wonderful new son-in-law and a beautiful granddaughter named Megan. We moved from Hawaii, and we've been living on a farm now for just about nine years. And this farm has proven to be just an incredible blessing for us because not only has it given us a chance to get closer as a family, but I truly believe it's given us a chance to get to know God better. Do we have any farmers in the group? A couple. Well, you may know, but I didn't know. I raise sheep. Did you know that every sheep is different? Every single sheep. I can tell you which of my sheep is ornery, which one's real sweet, which one's gentle, which one's greedy, which one you never want to turn your back on. And you know what? I think of all the times in the Bible that God calls us his sheep. You know what? He doesn't see us as a flock. He sees us as individuals just as I see my sheep. And he desires for us to be close to him. I consider my life now complete. I no longer look for things to make me happy because they never did and they never will. I start my day every day with God. I heard someone one time say that she gets up and reports for duty. And I kind of like that, so I think of myself as getting up and reporting for duty. I start with praise and thanksgiving. And then I ask for forgiveness for anything in word, thought, or deed that might have been displeasing to God. And then I ask every day that I might be used by God. I have a favorite scripture, Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Our yesterdays are behind us, and our tomorrows are truly in His hands. But He commands us to rejoice and be glad in today our priorities have completely changed for our life goal now is to have our children and our family and our friends all walking with the Lord because it means the difference of eternal life with God and you know what? we're all going to spend eternity somewhere the question is whether you're going to spend it with God or without God I find that to be a very humbling responsibility but I also believe, as it says in the Bible, that all things are possible through Christ Jesus because he is the way and the truth and the life in my life today September 10th I lost my dad when I got that call on an early Friday morning I was just totally broken hearted but I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and it says in the Bible that our days are numbered in a book of life and so I know that I know that I know that in heaven that morning Heaven was rejoicing, saying, Ole Johnson's coming home. He's coming home. And you see, none of us in this room knows when our number is up in that book of life. And one of the reasons I accepted an invitation to come and speak today was to encourage you to see what an incredible difference Jesus Christ can make in your life if you've never let him be a part of it. And you know, in a room this size, there's just bound to be someone who is like me. Perhaps you grew up in the church. Perhaps you were part of a choir, maybe you were part of a youth group, but until today maybe you didn't realize that to truly be a child of God, to truly know that you're going to spend eternity with God, you have to take that first step. You have to ask Jesus Christ to come in and be a part of your life. If your heart is being tugged on this morning, that maybe you haven't made that decision, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer with me right now, the prayer that I prayed with Gretchen years ago. And if you feel inclined to pray with me, would you pray silently along with me as we pray this prayer together? Would you bow your heads? Dear Lord, I need you. And I thank you for dying for me. I open that door of my life, and I ask you in as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for your promise of eternal life with you. And Lord, now make me the kind of person that you would have me be. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. In closing, I'd like to leave you with a quote from Billy Graham. He was once asked how I'd like to be remembered. And he replied, and I believe there are words to live by. Number one, that I followed God. Number two, that I had God's integrity in every area of my life. And number three, that I truly believed, sorry, that I truly lived what I believed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my life story today. And if you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, may I share with you some thoughts on how to continue your spiritual journey? I strongly encourage you to begin reading God's Word daily a good place to start might be in the Gospel of John secondly I want to suggest that you find a good Bible teaching church and then attend there on a regular basis and third pray pray daily and be open and honest with God he loves you and he knows what you're going through and finally When Jesus died on that cross, he was basically saying, I would rather suffer a painful and horrible death than to live eternity without you. So you see, he desires to have every person come to a saving relationship in him. So remember to share your decision for Christ with others, and may God bless you
3: as you continue your spiritual journey. Thank you.
4: They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior, so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him, he's to blame. Upon that precious head, they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and said, behold the king. Then they struck him. And they cursed Him, and they mocked His holy name. All alone He suffered every thing. Mother was standing nearby. And he looked down and said, Woman, behold thy son. And he cried, I thirst for water. But they gave him none to drink. And the sinful work of man was done. To the howling mob he yielded. And my God did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he bore. And he bore it all alone. And when he cried, it's finished. He gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was begun. He could
0: In the 1970s, Zig Ziglar shifted gears, moved into overdrive and sought new heights to scale. After all, he had finished second in national sales in an organization with over 7,000 salespeople and first in another with over 3,000. Today as a motivational teacher and trainer, Zig Ziglar is again number one. He is rated by his peers as well as audiences everywhere as one of the best and most versatile. Eight of his ten books have reached bestseller lists as soon as they were published. His appearances on The Today Show, The Phil Donahue Show, CBS's 60 Minutes, and ABC's 2020 have given him worldwide recognition. His appearance on The Hour of Power and The 700 Club have given us a unique glimpse at his personal life and faith. Happily overmarried to the redhead, whom he lovingly calls Sugar Baby, he is a committed family man. He is an avid jogger and an enthusiastic golfer. And when Zig Ziglar was 10 days old, well, let's have Zig tell that story himself.
1: Today I'm gonna be sharing with you my spiritual journey. Interestingly enough, it started when I was 10 days old. I died that day. 10 days earlier, the doctor had delivered me to my mother and said, you have a perfectly healthy baby boy. Ten days later, he laid me on the bed and said to my mother, he is no more. My grandmother reached down and picked up this lifeless body. They said she started talking to me. But you, of course, know that she was not talking to me. She was talking to her Heavenly Father. She was pleading for my life. God responded to that prayer. And obviously, I did survive. As a child, I watched a widowed mother who lost her husband, who left her with six children, too small to work. There were uh, 12 of us all told. She lost her daughter just a few days later. And so it was a pretty tough childhood. I watched. I watched my mother's incredible faith. Now, as a child, every week we were in church. As a matter of fact, Mrs. L.S. Jones from down the street drove an old Dodge. And she would come in front of our house and sound her horn. And I can see my mother to this day as she would do two things simultaneously. She would reach over and pick up her navy blue hat and put it on the bun on the back of her head. Her long hair was rolled up and she would reach and get her hat pin and at the same motion she would uh, put it all together and say, let's go boys. And I'm telling you, we headed for the car. Never occurred to us uh, to not go. We, we didn't think we had a choice. And reflecting on it, we didn't have a choice. It was clearly understood we were going to church. On Sunday evening, uh, we went to what the Baptists called, you know, BYPU in those days. And as boys, we thought BYPU uh, stood for Buy Your Preacher's Underwear. I mean, that's why we were there. We were at church on Sunday night. We were at prayer meeting on Wednesday night. When the church doors opened, uh, we were there. On a number of occasions, and incidentally I was baptized when I was 12 years old. I was as lost as a human being could get. I don't know why I was baptized. I don't know whether it's because my mother wanted me to, the preacher expected me to, or all of my buddies were being baptized. All I know is I was baptized. I well remember one evening, I did a lot of my work at night in those days. I was in the cookware business putting on demonstrations. I was coming in late one night from, I believe, Lancaster, South Carolina. We lived in Columbia. A little town called Dent, just outside of Columbia. And I remember that evening uh, turning left, as, uh, right there at, little, at Dent, crossing the railroad track and turning right. I remember that. The next thing I remembered, I was being flagged down by the military police in Fort Jackson. I had driven straight for about six miles. I had turned left and the military police said I passed the outpost doing somewhere between 50 and 60 miles an hour. I was so deep up into the Fort Jackson complex that they literally had to lead me out. I was absolutely lost. Now, there are a lot of people uh, who will say, well, you know, you weren't really asleep. But when I got home that night, the redhead said to me, honey, I was praying unusually hard for you tonight. There are those who would say, you know, you didn't really go to sleep, but I'm totally convinced that not only was I sound asleep, but I had the greatest chauffeur that any human being could ever have. God sent my angel and he was driving that car. And he drove it beautifully. Now you would have thought that was something like that, that at that point I would really make my commitment to Christ. But, but you see, I wanted to have some fun in life. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to make a lot of money. And obviously Christians just don't do those things. I mean, let's face it, Christians go around with long faces and short pocketbooks. Now everybody knows that. That was the image, that was a picture that I had of my own. Then on July the 4th, 1972 thanks to an elderly black lady who spent the weekend in our home we learned that number one she was scripturally inaccurate she claimed to be an angel claimed to be a faith healer claimed to be a prophetess. we discovered she was none of those things but there were two things we absolutely knew number one she loved the Lord and she loved me She walked into our home talking about Christ. She walked out of our home talking about Christ. And all during that weekend, all she talked about was Jesus Christ. My Savior came into my life in a very real way that weekend. I've always been so grateful that she was not prejudiced. Now, almost immediately... My picture of what being a Christian uh, totally changed, you know. I I tell folks today, Christians ought to be kind of like the story of the mama skunk and the baby skunk going by the paper mill. How many of you have ever been close to a paper mill? Okay, you'll get the drift of this. One of the baby skunks sniffed the air and filled his nostrils with that pungent paper mill odor and said, Mama, what on earth is that? Well, the mama skunk filled her nostrils with that pungent paper mill odor and said, I don't know. But we've sure got to get some of it. Now, you know, I believe, I believe that when people are Christians, that somebody ought to have some way of knowing they aren't Christians. You know, you don't walk around looking like a cruise director for the Titanic. I mean, that is not my picture of what knowing Christ is all about. No, and I don't believe either that you're always grinning so wide you could eat a banana sideways. I don't believe that is in the picture either. But there's an absolute joy that comes from knowing Christ that you will not experience anywhere else. When you know Christ, things are absolutely different. Christ manifested himself in so many different ways almost immediately. It was almost as if he were saying, now I've let you fool around 45 years of your life. Now I've got some things I want you to do, so I'm going to remove any doubt from your mind that your salvation was real. Now I want to give you a little warning. Different people have different salvation experiences. Yours might be totally different from mine. You see, for mine, there was no magic moment on that weekend. I do not remember one minute being lost and the next minute being saved. But when I awakened on that Monday morning, I knew beyond any reasonable doubt that Christ was in my heart that I had made my commitment to him, that I was a totally different human being. Now, the first thing I did on that morning was I went to my cabinet. Now, I was at that time a casual social drinker. Now, when I say casual social, I mean a maximum of three times a month, and that was unusual. But in those days, they used to give you the little uh, small bottles uh, on the airplane uh, when you flew. If you didn't drink on the plane, they'd give you two of them. I had a cabinet full of those things. I don't know if any of you remember seeing uh, that airline movie where one of the uh, uh, flight attendants opened a closet and there were hundreds of those little bottles, well that looked like mine. I had a case of champagne somebody had uh, given to me, had several other bottles and uh, when I opened my cabinet door that morning, uh, I then headed for the sink with every one of those bottles and I dumped them down. No, now, I don't believe drinking is going to send you to hell. I really don't. I don't believe smoking will. Smoking, you smell like you've been there in advance. Now, anyhow, <laughs> well, they, uh, uh, and you will get there quicker, uh, you know, and so forth. But you see, you don't go to hell because of what you do. You go to hell because of what you don't. And that simply is believe. And I want to tell you now, God used my son who was seven years old. As an harassment committee of one to make absolutely certain that I walked a straight and narrow path. I well remember our anniversary that November after I'd committed my life to Christ. We went out to a, a restaurant with, uh, owned uh, uh, by the Redheads hairdresser, and he knew it was our anniversary. We got there and he gave us a bottle of wine. Now I knew about my commitment that never again. Uh, But I did not have the courage at that point to say to him, no, uh, we don't drink. And so the redhead and I had a sample of that wine. I got home and that seven-year-old boy said to me, Dad, did uh, you drink any wine or anything? And I said, yes, I did, son. And if I lived to be a thousand, I'd never forget his exact words. He looked right at me and softly said, Dad, I can't begin to tell you how disappointed I am in you. I looked at my boy and I said, son, I'm going to make you a promise. If you'll forgive dad this time, I promise you that the rest of my life, I will never have to ask you to forgive me again. And I've kept that promise, not in my strength, but in his. After I was saved, I well remember, I was out in my swimming pool. I was looking up into the heavens. Really, I was praising God I, I, as I lay there, and I said, God, I know you put this whole big, beautiful universe together, and I know that one of these days you're going to take it down. And at that precise moment, a star fell. God, I felt so close to, was speaking to me. You're absolutely right, boy, and don't you ever forget it, and I never have. A few days later, I had some time off. We decided to go down uh, on a little trip. We drove down to Corpus Christi. And we spent a day there and then decided to go over to San Antonio. And as we headed for San Antonio, my son said, Dad, give me a Bible story. Well, you've got to understand that here's a boy whose dad had not been taking him to church, who had not been reading him the Bible, had not been praying with him. See, when we moved to Dallas in uh, August of 1968 from Columbia, South Carolina, we didn't have any friends here. Nobody was saying, let's go to church. Now in Columbia and other places, we always had friends and they always went to church. And and we went to church because that is a thing to do. On several occasions, as I said earlier, almost made a commitment. But now we come to Dallas and no friends, and Sunday was the only day I had. I I mean, you know, I want to do something for myself. And so we didn't go to church. And now my boy says, Dad... Give me a Bible story. Well, fortunately, having been raised in the church, I knew some Bible stories, so I gave him one. He said, give me another one, Dad. I gave him another. Give me another one, Dad. I gave him another. He said, give me another one, Dad. And about that time, I was beginning to run out. And I said, well, boy, when we get to San Antonio, I'll get the book out, and I'll give you more stories. We got to San Antonio, checked in, went up to about the umpteenth floor, and as the bellman set the bag down, he said, okay, Dad, said, get the book out and give me a story. I got the book out and I did remember enough about the Bible. I went to the book of Exodus so I could get me a continued story there, and uh, I read. And finally, I said, "Boy, I'm hungry. We got to go get something to eat." He said, "Okay, Dad." I said, "We'll take it up when we get back." We went to dinner and we came back in, uh, and the minute we walked in, he said, "Okay, Dad." I said, "Get the book out and give me some more stories." I read until I absolutely got sleep. I said, "Boy, I said I got to go to sleep." He said, "Okay, Dad." I said, "We'll take it up tomorrow." We got up the next day, we we're gonna drive back to Dallas, and normally I drive. But as we headed for the car, he said, Dad I said, tell you what, I said, let's let mom drive. You get the book out, I want you to give me a story. God Lee really was using it. You see, when you take that move towards God, you'll find he has already headed in your direction. He's been waiting for you all of your We got to Dallas, I went to the bookstore, I got a copy of Taylor's Bible stories, and I started reading uh, the uh, the stories to him at age seven, you know, I felt he could relate to that uh, more nearly than he could uh, the old King James, which was so popular in those days. And as some of you might suspect by now, I, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, bring a little extra uh, to the stories. Now, I, I don't add to the Bible. don't misunderstand. But I kind of dramatize it, you know. And everybody's story favorite is David and Goliath. Everybody knows that. I mean, that's just a given. And when we got to David and Goliath, you know, I, uh, as I was dramatizing, you know, talking about big old nine-foot-plus Goliath, a little bitty David hadn't even started shaving yet. And he runs up there and he, he says, his brother what that fella done and they said why well, David can't you see he's challenging us now when you understand for 40 days and 40 nights Goliath had been brainwashing them you dirty dogs I'll kill you send somebody out to fight and David said I'll take him on and they said David you're crazy people get hurt fighting fellas like that they looked at Goliath you know and figured he is too big to hit David looked at him knew he is too big to miss it's the way you look at things. They looked at Goliath and compared him to them. That made him big. David looked at him and compared Goliath to God and that made Goliath awfully small. I'm here to tell you, I was telling that story to my boy and I said, Son, wasn't David a brave boy? And, and you've got to kind of reverse our ages now. You've got to make him 45 and me 7. As he said, yeah, Dad, he said, David was brave, but Goliath was the brave one. I said, oh, how do you figure that, boy? And he said, well, Dad, you got to understand, Goliath was out there right by himself. David had God with him. I said, boy, you know, I never thought about it like that. Now, I got a smart son, but he ain't that smart. That was God's Holy Spirit that was speaking through my son. God manifested himself in another way. I'd been invited uh, to send in some information with a major national uh, company to use in their international sales meeting. Well, I sent them all the stuff, wrote them a glowing report on myself, uh, pointed out how marvelous I would be uh, as their presenter, you know, and just knew I was going to get the deal. I obviously was the best qualified and surely they would invite me. About a month later, I got a letter and said, we're sorry we decided to get somebody else. Well, you know, I'm always of the step up for lip variety. I put up that good front, you know, you win some, you lose some, some are rained out, but I really was disappointed. On the trip to Corpus Christi, I called back, and uh, talked with my office and they said, uh, this company has called you, the man they had originally selected to do some of their regional conventions has such filthy language, they cannot and will not use him. they want you. And it seems that God almost interrupted the conversation and said, you see there boy, when you leave it up to me, I'll handle things for you. Now understand, God handles himself and manifests himself differently in different ways. Don't ever think for one moment that everybody has the same experience. Each one of us are individual. God deals with us differently. Almost immediately after I became a Christian, a need arose in our family. And understand, I was broken and debt at that particular point. And something happened, and we immediately needed an extra $500 a week. I want to emphasize that in 1972, $500 represented a considerable sum of money. You're already struggling. Something amazing happened. Uh, This uh, major corporation, one of the uh, Fortune 500, I'd done a series with them. And about that time, they wrote me a letter and said, we want you to do another series But if you don't mind, we would like to pay you in advance so we can get it in this year's budget. Well, because of my gracious understanding nature, (laughs) I, you know, agreed uh, to go along with their request, Regretfully, of course, but I agreed uh, uh, to go through it. Now, here's the interesting thing. In all of the years before... And all of the years since, that has never happened again, where anybody wanted to pay me for a series in advance. Occasionally for a fee, they will pay me in advance. That met our needs. We have a great God, ladies and gentlemen. My picture of what a Christian is uh, changed immediately. My picture of faith changed immediately. You see, I believe that faith is a football game and a car payment. I don't know how many of you are football fans, but do you remember a few years ago when the Dallas Cowboys were playing Minnesota for the NFC championship up in Minneapolis? How many of you remember that particular game? Well, any casual observer of the game, and I'm going to tell this uh, in a completely non-biased, unprejudiced way, I would simply give you the facts in the matter as any dedicated diet in the world loyal Dallas Cowboy fan would give it. Now it was obvious to anybody that the Cowboys were the vastly superior team. We should have had them about 68 to nothing going down at the end. But there it was. We had 54 seconds to play. The Cowboys were behind. It was fourth down, 19 to go. We were on our own 22-yard line. And incredibly enough, some of the Dallas Cowboy faithful at that point lost their faith. There was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. They said, same old cowboys. We don't get beat. We beat ourselves. I was, I sat there in astonishment. I said, hey, don't worry about a thing. Hey, we just got 19 yards to go for a first down. We still got 54 seconds left. Staubach is good and healthy. No problem. Well, you remember the very first play? He sent Drew Pearson straight ahead. He got down to the 49-yard line of the Vikings, headed for the sideline, and just as he got to the sideline, Staubach hit him. With a perfect pass. Now, while Pearson was up in the air, one of those Vikings pushed him out of bounds. Now that ain't right, and they caught him at it, and uh, and and so we got the ball right there, and the stadium erupted. Everybody jumped up and down, and started whooping and sh- shouting and hard, acting like a bunch of teenagers. I just sat there, never moved calm cool and collected old ice water Ziggler I'm telling you I had no doubt in my mind about who's gonna win that ball game no way were the Cowboys gonna lose well on the very next play our center had gotten hurt instantly on the last one the substitute center dribbled the ball back to uh, Starbuck on the frozen turf Starbuck had to grab it up he had sent Preston Pearson over the center bad pass incomplete everybody moaned and groaned and I said hey don't worry about a thing We've still got nearly 40 seconds left. It's only a second down. The Starbuck's still in control. Everything's going to be OK. Will you remember the next play? He sent Drew Pearson straight for the end zone. Uh, little bitty guy, 4 feet 11, weighed about 78 pounds. And Staubach put the ball up in there and it stayed there 2 minutes and 29 seconds. By the time he got down, uh, Pearson was surrounded by 9 of those Vikings kicking and scratching and calling. And one of them even bit him. Pearson ignored the crowd, caught the touchdown pass, wins the game, the stadium erupted. I never left my seat. <laughs> Never was there any doubt in my mind about the outcome of that game. Now, I've got to confess, one of the reasons that I was so confident is because I was watching a replay. <laughs> and you say, Ziegler, you dirty dog. The game was over. Your team had already won. You had absolutely nothing to worry about. And you see, that's what being a Christian is. I never played football. I was too little, too slow, too scared, have a low threshold of pain. (laughs) I didn't play football, but they tell me that there's a big book of rules. And they tell me that regardless of how good you are, if you break enough of the rules, that you're going to lose the game. Well, in the game of life, there's also a book. But this is a book of love. And I have read this book. I've read the last chapter. I know how the game ends. I know I've already won it. Now, if you know how the game ends and you know you've already won it, doesn't that remove an incredible amount of doubt and fear and frustration and worry out of your life? That's what is exciting to me about, knowing Christ. See, I believe faith really is a car payment. I get so amused at the number of people who say, well, Zig, you know, I have no trouble at all with Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I have no trouble at all believing that Christ broke the bread and fishes and fed the multitude. I have no trouble believing that God split the Red Sea and over two million Jews walked through on dry land. I have no trouble whatever believing those mighty miracles of the Bible, but Zig, you see, I got a car payment. And it's due next Thursday. Now, God can spit all that water he wants to, but he's never dealt with one of these finance companies before. (laughs) You think of the absurdity of that. Yes, Lord, I know you created the universe, but let me tell you about that woman I married. Lord, I don't believe you could get along with her or, Lord, let me tell you about that man I'm married to. Or, let me tell you about that teenager, that child of mine. Lord, I know you did all of these other things, but let's face it. You cannot get personal and solve our day-to-day problems. How absurd can we get? As Mary Crowley used to say so often, God can mend any broken heart, provided you've given him all of the pieces. God gives heart to transplants I remember the marvelous changes that took place in my life as a Christian I've laughed infinitely more than I've ever laughed in my life but I've also cried more than I've ever cried yesterday morning as I was reading the scriptures about the birth of our Lord and I thought in my own family of the good news we got just this week of the impending birth of a new grandchild in our family Oh, it's still eight months away, but are we ever excited about it? And as I sat there thinking about that beautiful gift of that precious life that was in uh, my daughter-in-law's womb, uh, my eyes just filled with tears of gratitude. I've been to funerals of Christians, and I've been to funerals of non-Christians. The difference in the anticipation, the joy, the excitement is so dramatically different. I I struggle with a preacher who's preaching uh, uh, for a person who is lost. How he has to struggle to think of something nice to say. Those who've known the Lord, uh, you know, when they come out and say, we know that he or she is infinitely better off today. What a tremendous comfort that is. So many things have happened. Uh, I I remember two years after my conversion, I was out in the uh, swimming pool again, and I was looking up into the heavens, and as I did, my son uh, was there, and he and I were sitting on the side talking. All of a sudden, I said, son, look, there's another shooting star. And my nine-year-old boy said, oh, dad, he said, that wasn't a shooting star, that was a Roman candle. I said, no, boy, I was looking at it. It was a shooting star. He said, dad, I was looking at it, too. It was a Roman candle. And I said, well, boy, your eyes are a lot younger than mine, and I'm going to let you uh, rule this time that it was a uh, Roman candle, but I said, sure looked like a shooting star to me. And we got awfully quiet, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, Dad, two years ago, at your moment of need, that star that you saw falling uh, had left its orbit thousands and thousands of years earlier, and a perfect God... it so that it would appear at your exact moment of need I said it before my boy's a smart boy but he ain't that smart you see God again was manifesting himself in so many different ways I well remember in those days we didn't have the corporate structure we have today and I kind of ran almost a uh, one-person outfit we simply paid our expenses and then billed the companies back for it. And I remember one week and the redhead had written the check for the tithe. And I looked at it and I said, gracious, I didn't know we made that much money this week. She said, yeah, we had a good week. And I said, wonderful. Then I thought for a couple of minutes. I said, now, wait a minute. You know, I was all over the country this week and you didn't deduct all of the airfare. She said, no, I sure didn't. Hesitated just for a moment, then she smiled and she said, Honey, let's just leave it like it is. Said, We can't outgive God. So true. So true. You cannot outgive God. I want to be very careful to say this. I'm just so grateful it's true. Our tithes today and our gifts are substantially more than we were earning before I became a Christian. My taxes are dramatically more than I was earning when I committed my life to Christ. And I want to say this so very carefully because not for one moment do I want you to ever get the idea that when you become a Christian, God is going to bless you financially. The idea that you can name it and claim it is an absolute abomination to the Lord. The idea that you're broke because your faith is not strong enough is absolute heresy. It simply is not true. I know so many Christians, including my mother, the strongest Christian I ever knew in my life, and she never had a dime in her life. God doesn't mind you being prosperous, particularly if you use it for His glory. But God will give to you what is best for you. Money might be the worst thing on earth for you, but He will bless you according to what is best for you. I close With this example, when I committed my life to Christ, my number one objective was to have each member of my family, children, brothers, sisters, everybody in the kingdom. These were the ones I loved the most. I immediately started witnessing to and trying to live in a way that they would be attracted to the benefits of Christianity now. See, a lot of people don't realize it. But as a Christian, even as a churchgoer, you will live five and seven-tenths years longer than a non-churchgoer. You have 55% less chance of having a one-car accident and 60% less chance of having a fatal heart attack. There are some now benefits. There are some other benefits that go along with it. My greatest benefit, I believe, has been in the world of relationship. I always thought I loved that redhead of mine I really did. The kids always called us the lovebirds. But until I learned to love her through Christ, I did not know what love was all about. We're infinitely closer today after over 47 years of marriage than we've ever been. We talk more. We laugh more. We do more. We have more in common. We go closer by the day. God has opened my eyes and my heart in so many different ways, folks. It just makes such a big difference. One by one, uh, each member of my family came into the kingdom with the exception of my oldest daughter. She was, quote, an intellectual. A lot of it just didn't make any sense to her. She could see how excited I was. She could see changes in me. But, Dad, you've always been excited about a whole lot of things. And she kind of thought it was a passing fancy. Well, you can only witness so much even to your own child. And after a period of time, you know, I really got a little discouraged. And then one day the Lord whispered to me, and I want to emphasize a point there too. In 99 and nine-tenths percent of the cases, God speaks to me through his Bible. There have been about five instances in the years I've known him where I felt so his presence was so real that I felt he was audibly speaking to me and obviously he was impressing my mind. But God mostly speaks to me through his Bible. But it seemed on this occasion God whispered, why don't you write her a book? And I very quickly said, all right, Lord, we will write her a book. Every word, every phrase, every verse of Scripture, every example, every illustration, every prayer in Confessions of a Happy Christian was put in there with the hope and prayer that it would be instrumental in bringing my daughter to Christ. Well, in the meantime, she had gotten involved with an organization which had a strong witnessing Christian and he started talking about Christ. In the meantime, also, she had gotten married. And one day she told me, you know, that she was in church, and uh, all that really tickled me. But when my book came out, you know, and I gave it to her as I did to all the other members of the family, and one by one they were saying, oh, Dad, uh, it really is a great book. And I, I, I just couldn't wait for my oldest daughter, but she never opened the book. A couple of Sundays later, she and her husband were seated in our den. And as we talked, I felt God's Spirit moving. And I said, uh, are you two ready to commit your lives to Christ? My son-in-law said, well, I already have. And I looked at my daughter and I said, what about you, sweetheart? She said, no, Daddy, I'm just not ready. It really broke my heart because, you see, the Bible says when the Holy Spirit beckons, you must respond because there's no guarantee that he will beckon again. And so it really bothered me, and yet I felt that I could go no further, and I didn't. Eight days later on Monday night, I was doing a seminar here in Dallas. My son-in-law works with me. He went down and had the display of the books and the tapes there. My son decided to go with me that night, and my daughter went also. When it was all over, and after I'd finished bidding uh, everybody good night, and my son and son-in-law were loading the books and tapes uh, that were left back down in the car, my daughter was standing in the back, and I walked back to her, and she put her arms around me, and she said, Thank you, Daddy, for finding Jesus Christ when you did. Because had you not found him then, I would not know him uh, now. I grabbed her and I hugged her and I kissed her and I spanked her and I cried. And I hugged her and I kissed her and I spanked her again and I cried some more. And we had made an agreement with my son and son-in-law that we were going to meet down in the coffee shop and have a bowl of soup. She and I walked on down, we took our seats. I sat here, she on my left. My son-in-law came in, sat down right in front of me and my son On my right, my son sat down and I looked at him and I said, Son, guess who Susie knows? He looked startled just for a moment and his little eyes filled with tears. He bowed his head and he wept. You parents who've had the privilege of knowing Christ and leading your children to Christ know the joy, unspeakable joy that I felt. We got home, we walked in the front door. The redhead was all the way across the room and for the benefit of the visitors, when I keep saying the redhead, I'm obviously talking about my wife. She was all the way across the room. When we walked in before anybody said a word, she said, Susie knows the Lord, doesn't she? I said, yes, she's safe, she's safe. The question is, do you know the Lord? It's a given that all of us are going to die. I believe with all of my heart that heaven is a real place, that hell is a real place. We will go by our choice to one of them. Now say by our choice because you see God's voted for you. Satan has voted against you. And the deciding vote is going to be yours.